Welcome to the next episode of the God Conversations podcast with Tanya Harris, a series that will equip you to recognize God's voice. More resources can be found at godconversations.com. Hi, and welcome again to the God Conversations podcast. Wherever you are, whether you're in the car, jogging the trail or sitting down with a coffee, so excited to have you with us again today. Is God's will a narrow path or a six-lane freeway? Is it a narrow path where I must hear from God specifically and do exactly what he says? Or is it a six-lane freeway where it doesn't matter which path I choose, as long as my heart follows Jesus, that God will make it work out for good? (laughs) Which is it? How much influence does God have or should God have in our decision-making. The truth is we hear people say both, don't we? In fact, we hear people telling stories of both. God is going to tell you what job you should have. God won't tell you whether to take the job. You should just take the job whether you want to or not. God will show you where to live. God won't show you where to live. God will show you what to do. No, you just make your own decision. It's an important question, isn't it? And it's a question that we face often when we're facing crossroads and decision-making in whatever area of our personal life. It relates to the kinds of things God says and whether his voice is directive or not, whether he tells you what to do or not. So in this podcast today, what I'm going to do is bring some clarity to this question. And I believe it will bring wisdom to your life, particularly if you're facing a crossroads of decision-making or perhaps you're just chatting with someone else and advising them about what they should do. It was also hopefully going to bring some understanding about the nature of what it really means to be in relationship with God. But before I do that, I want to make a special announcement. We here at God Conversations are just in the process of launching a brand new ebook called The Easy Way to Hear God's Voice. It's out this month and I think you're going to find it helpful. Hearing God's voice can be easier than what you think. It's only a short read and I know it's a bit of a a, a quirky read but I know that it's going to encourage you and what we're going to do is we're going to give it as a gift to you to our blog readers who are already signed up at the website and to any person who wants to subscribe. The blog is designed to be an online platform for God Conversations resources. We don't believe that hearing from God is a one-off experience. It's a lifestyle and it's very much a part of the discipleship process. It's learning who God is through hearing his voice. So all of these resources, whether they're articles or whether they're the podcast, whether they're books or CDs, they're going to encourage you to enable you to recognise his voice in your everyday life. So if you haven't already subscribed to the blog, can I encourage you to do that and you'll receive notification about how to receive that ebook. The ebook is also available at Amazon.com, $4.95 US dollars, $5.70 Australian. And if you'd like to support the Ministry of God Conversations, you can purchase it there in the Kindle format. But otherwise, it's available to everybody. We want to encourage you to pass it on, to share it around, to really help other people around the world to get to know what God's voice sounds like. So, is God's will a narrow path or a six-lane freeway? 
I was 27 years old and God had told me to go to Bible college. So the next question was, well, which Bible college? I do all my homework. I research the websites, collect all the brochures of all the colleges that are well known in Melbourne. And I decide that Tabor College will be the best. I'd already been studying there. When I was 21 and 22, I lived in the Solomon Islands and I joined up by correspondence to the table course. And I'd been sitting already in my leaf hut doing the studies. I'd done about six months worth of the first year course. So I already knew it was a great program and I wanted to continue it. The lecturers were good, the assessments were great. I liked the philosophy of their college. I'd really enjoyed my studies there. So that seemed the most logical, reasonable place to go to. But in the process of investigating the different colleges, I rang up Harvest Bible College. Something very odd happened when I was on the phone speaking to the registrar. While he was telling me about all the courses and the timetables and the costs for the program, my spirit was doing somersaults inside of me, filling me with joy. It was literally leaping and, and making me want to laugh. I had to suppress it while this guy is on the phone telling me about the college. It was the strangest feeling. And the reason was, was because my mind was screaming, no, I didn't want to go to Harvest Bible College. I had already done six months of study with Tabor and I, I had no reason to go there. When I got off the phone, I erupted in laughter. The presence of God was all over me and I could feel it tangibly. As it turns out, I went to Harvest Bible College and I stayed there for six years. Two years were spent studying a bachelor's, two years studying a master's, and then another three years on staff there, overlapping with one year of my master's. My position there led to connections and networks in Melbourne, which helped me pastor my church in the last few years of my time there. Then those networks and connections also helped to introduce me to certain networks and connections in Sydney, where I was to go in my next season. You know, I often look back at that decision and I wonder about the consequences of it. If I'd made a different one, it would completely alter where I was at today. Then again, would it have? Would that decision have changed anything? So maybe if I had gone to a different college, I'd still somehow end up meeting those people and still being connected up in Sydney the way that God had planned. Maybe it eventually would have happened. I, I think if you've ever watched that Sliding Doors movie with Gwyneth Paltrow, because these themes are, are really explored. She's um, a woman who misses a train one day. And then the movie splits into two possibilities of what could have happened if she missed the train or if she didn't miss the train. And the, the romantic side of it, her relationship all changes and um, her work changes. But at the very end of the movie, those two plot lines come together. And it turns out that exactly the same, she's in exactly the same position at the end of the movie as she would have been whatever decision she had made or whether she'd missed the train or not. It kind of raises these big questions, doesn't it? What, what does it mean to, to believe in the sovereignty of God? What does it mean when we make decisions? Does it matter what decisions we make? Should we Decisions about what job we take or, or where we should study or what house we should live in or who we should marry? Interesting that underneath those questions are some bigger ones that relate to our worldview. 
And that whole concept of what is the will of God. I want to read a text at this juncture because what we tend to see in this question is that there are two views that come up. Two opposing views, if you like, the six-lane freeway or the narrow path. The text I want to look at briefly is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, and you may have already heard of it. It says this, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. There are two parts to this verse. One position on this question emphasises the second part of the verse, that the Lord establishes their steps. In other words, the sovereign plan of God. It emphasises God's hand on our life and his direction and his control, if you like, over what happens. The other view swings more to the first part of the verse. In their hearts, humans plan their course. This one emphasises the human ability to make choices, choices based on logic and circumstances and facts. Two views. In this podcast, I'm going to draw on some, uh, a fairly well-known text that's been published in this area quite a number of years ago, about 30 years ago, by Friesen and Maxson, and it's called Decision-Making and the Will of God, a biblical alternative to the traditional view. And I want to unpack these two views a little bit more and then make some conclusions about where we come to, which I believe is going to help you in your decision-making and how God sees the situations that we face in life. First of all, let's take a look at the narrow path view first. Friesen and Maxson calls this view the Plan A view. And in this view, God's will is defined as this, an ideal, detailed life plan uniquely designed for each person. So the will of God is seen to be distinct from the overarching sovereign will of God for the world, the big picture will. It's also made distinct from God's moral will, his, his moral commands as revealed in the Bible. So in this view, God has a particular specific plan for your life. He knows and wants to lead you in every decision, every step of that view. The, the, the road is narrow. There's not many options in this view. You do what God says. And the way that you know what God says is by following a number of road signs that are outlined in the book. So let's have a look at those. The first one is the written word of God. By following the principles of scripture. So you know you're not going to earn all your money by robbing a bank because obviously that contravenes a basic biblical principle. The, the will of God is seen by the way we, first of all, we follow the written word of God. The next road sign is circumstances. In this view, since God is sovereign, circumstances are interpreted to be a leading, if you like. So if the door's open, we walk through it. But if the door's closed, we don't. So this kind of um, conversation says, well, if it's God's will for me to sell the house, then a buyer's going to come along and offer to buy it, Right. That's the second road sign. The third one is the witness of the Holy Spirit, the kind of leading of, of, of the peace of God. When it's God's will, I feel peaceful. When it's not God's will, I don't feel peaceful. <laughs> I kind of smile at that one. Sometimes God's will makes me feel very unpeaceful. <laughs> the fourth one is mature counsel. We consult people around us. Wisdom is made sure in the counsel of others. So that's a road sign that acts to show us what God's will is. Number five, personal desires. Since God gives us the desires of our heart, we listen to the desires to follow God's specific will. 
Another one is common sense. We make the decision that makes sense. We gather the information and we make a, a decision on the basis of that. And the last one is supernatural guidance, such as we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, where God says to Philip, go up to the Ethiopian in the chariot, chariot or where God says to, to Paul in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, um, when he's trying to decide what direction to go on his missionary journey, God says, go to Macedonia. They need help over there. Go east, sorry, go west, not east. That's the position of the narrow path view. God has a specific plan and we need to consult him about those decisions that we make and let him speak about the next step along this pathway. The authors, Friesen and Maxson, actually don't hold to this view. They argue that this is not the best way to live your life. And the reason, they say, is that these kind of accounts of specific direction that we see in the Bible are not normal. They're unusual. They're sporadic and they're not normative, even for people like the Apostle Paul. So therefore, we shouldn't expect to live life that way. It's unreasonable and it's not necessary and it's the exception, but it's definitely not the rule. They take that further by saying that, you know, it gets a bit silly sometimes because if God really does have this prescribed, carved out life for us, then how, what extreme do we take this to? Do we say, God, well, what shall I wear today? What should I eat? Where should I park my car? <laughs> and it can get a bit silly. You might have heard people talk a bit like that. They also say that when we read this phrase, God's will in the Bible, let me give an example, Romans 12, 1 to 2, where it says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you're able to discern his perfect will. That when those sort of scriptures are talked about, it doesn't mean this, this defined, prescribed will. It, it means God's general moral will. It's a different meaning. And lastly, they say that the only objective truth can be found ultimately in the scriptures. So therefore, we can't really find reliable answers outside of it for our life. God doesn't provide specific direction for our life. There is the other perspective on this as well. You know, I was reading a book a number of years ago by Joy Dawson, Joy Dawson, who is one of the YWAM leaders. And, and YWAM is, has a very strong emphasis on hearing God's voice. And she writes a lot about this topic and about how she lives her life and she's very much the the counter to that she goes to God with all her decisions and then hears him answer for her specifics of her life and 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 the rationale behind it is an interesting one because she says you know you can gather all the logical information that you like you can gain wisdom and counsel and you can look at the facts of the situation and use your common sense but the truth is you don't know all the variables you don't know what's going to happen down the track. You don't know if this decision is going to lead you to connect with that person, which is going to lead you to that opportunity, which is going to lead you to that project, which is going to bring you to your destiny. And, and she's right, isn't she? It's true. We don't know all the variables. This is a quote from her book, Forever Ruined for the Ordinary. I cannot imagine anything much worse than God's leaving me with the responsibility of making my own decisions in and for my life. I haven't the faintest idea what is the best thing for me. I've proved it hundreds of times. Only the one who created us knows how to fulfill us. Only the one who is omniscient knows all the factors associated with our choices. It's a good point, isn't it? 
Let's have a look at the second view now, the six-lane freeway, or as Maxson and Friesen calls it, the wisdom view, the way of wisdom. In this view, the highway is very wide. It has multiple lanes. You can choose whichever lane you like, and ultimately you will still get to your destination. The sovereign God is able to make all things work for good. So therefore, we just need to trust him in our choices. And we take the responsibility for making them, given wisdom that we can glean from other sources. What they mean by this is that the Bible contains very clear moral commands for us, but it doesn't give us specific direction. It doesn't tell us which college to go to or which car to buy. It just gives us wisdom decisions. This is a quote from the book. In those cases, the decision is ours. And we shouldn't fret about whether we someday will be judged for failing to wear the Nikes instead of the Reeboks. Although I know which, I will choose, which one I would choose. Of course, God has already sovereignly determined which tennis shoes we will wear that day. But we shouldn't waste half the day waiting for a swoosh to appear in the clouds. So long as there is no biblical principle being violated, just put on some shoes and get busy. Here's their advice for how to select the lane that you should choose. First of all, you need to obey God's moral will as expressed in codes like the Ten Commandments. I need to follow God's moral commands, but in non-moral choices, I can do what I like. There's freedom. It's freedom within limits. In much the same way as we drive the car, I can go wherever I want to as long as I keep my seatbelt on and I keep to the speed limit. So any decision made within the moral will of God is acceptable. The example that's given is from 1 Corinthians 7. This is the, the marriage chapter where Paul writes to the Corinthian church about whether they should get married or not. Basically, Paul says, you choose. There are some, some limitations about the kind of person that you should choose to partner with, but whether you want to get married or not, that's completely your choice. They also say that in making those kind of non-moral decisions, we should seek wisdom. James 1, 5 to 6 says, ask God for wisdom. It's so important that we live a life of wisdom. And we can look at the life of the apostles to see that frequently they made important decisions using their wisdom. There was no divine revelation. There was no Holy Spirit speaking. They, they just made a, a choice. So Acts chapter 20, verse 16, we see that Paul decides to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in Asia because he's in a hurry to reach Jerusalem by Pentecost. It's just a decision he makes on the basis of pragmatics. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, we see the leadership sorting out ministry team, the movement of ministry teams, where they should go as we thought it best. Acts chapter 6, verses 2 to 4, when they were appointing deacons, this comment is made, we thought it would not be wise. Titus chapter 3, verse 12, Paul decides to stay in Nicopolis. Why? Because I have decided. There's human wisdom that's being drawn on here. We should also humbly submit to God's sovereign will, knowing that God makes all things work together for good. 
So circumstances aren't necessarily uh, this sign of God's leading in this understanding. Open doors don't always mean that it's from God. Closed doors don't mean that it's not. So, for example, again, we see Paul walking away from an open door in chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. We see Paul walking away from the open door. Why? Because he had concern for his friend Titus's well-being. So even though there was an opportunity, he didn't consider that it was God's will that he had to walk through it. Finally, under this schema, there's also room for that unique special revelation, the, the divine voice, the angel or the dream or the miracle. And again, it's seen to be an exception and shouldn't be sought. I think of a good friend of mine when she finished off her studies a number of years ago. She was looking at what job to take and she began to pray. She said, God, what, what job should I take? And she felt God say specifically... Do what you like. Take what seems best to you. So my friend did her research. She went to the interviews. And the job she took met her passion. And it had a decent salary. And she was very happy in it. It very much fit the idea of a six-lane freeway. She was free to choose what she liked. So she used her reason. She used the wisdom of counsel. She did her research. And she made a choice. So... Which approach do we take? Which one is correct? Is God's will a wide freeway or is it a narrow path? To wrap up, I want to share a few thoughts for you that I think will help you reconcile these two views and will help you in your decision making. Here's some thoughts. The first one, both positions are valid. Both positions are valid. In fact, the biblical text has examples of both narrow paths and of broad freeways. And in life, we certainly hear experiences of both. Sometimes it is one way that we should go down. For me, going to Bible college, God specifically said, go to Harvest Bible College. In fact, to not go, to go to Tabor would have been an act of disobedience for him. However, there's also validity in God saying, do whatever you like. There is absolutely no reason to pitch one view against another and to even say that one way is more preferable than the other because it's not so. The reality is, is that our relationship with God is a dynamic one. Our connection to him is a dynamic relationship, not a static formula. And sometimes I think we're looking for these rules that we want to follow. One size fits all. But it's not true. What works for one person in one situation doesn't work for another. And what works for one person in one season doesn't work for another time. In fact, I love the approach of, and the words of the Jerusalem Council Detailed in Acts chapter 15, verse 22, it's an interesting story because the church leaders were facing a massive change in their theology, in their doctrine, and the question was over whether the Gentiles were allowed to join the church. This, this question had massive repercussions for the future of Christianity. It was huge, and it had never been made before. It had never been seen before. And the, all the leaders are gathering to try and decide what to do. 
There was diversity of opinion. There was complexity of the argument. They finally come to a decision that, yes, God does want the Gentiles to enter the church. And this is the words they used to describe the decision-making process. They said this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. See, both elements were involved and there's absolutely no need to pitch one against the other. Sometimes God clearly speaks and when he speaks, we must obey. But sometimes he doesn't. He says there is freedom. Do what you want. Do what you think seems best. Make some good decisions within the limits of wisdom. And sometimes, you know what? It's a bit of both. And that will depend on the situation and it will depend on the relationship that you have with God. See, we need to understand that everyone's going to say different things. Have you noticed when you talk to people, you're going to get a, a whole variety of advice in this area. You're going to get one person that says things like it's a narrow path and others who come from that six-lane freeway perspective. But the thing that we need to know is that most people make those statements on the basis of their own experience. If they've experienced one way, that's often what we expect for the future and for everyone else. But it's just, just not the case. Our relationship is an individual one. We need to look at how God is leading us. How God, what God is saying to us. We need to look at the nature of our relationship and how he's led us in the past. God's very unlikely to say to you, move to Africa, <laughs> when you haven't already heard him say, forgive that person. You see, there's a, there's a dynamic of relationship when we're ready to hear what he says and, and how we connect with him that's very personal. It's very individual. So we need to, to go to him. And, and to take that into consideration and understand that everyone's relationship and, and the timing and the situations are different. There are some principles to follow, but one size does not fit all. The last point I want to make in this area, which I think is incredibly important in this topic. At the end of the day, you must take responsibility for the consequences of your decisions. You've got to take responsibility for your decisions. See, if you're going to say, God told me, we've got to be careful to, put, to face the consequences of what that means. We must never put words into God's mouth. You must first consider that we may be wrong. We may be wrong. So we need to exercise caution over that. And if God truly did tell you, if God truly has spoken, then we've got to take the responsibility to engage the faith we need to walk that out. Now, I've worked in two different Bible colleges, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne. And this scenario has happened time and time again in both of those places. We would get students who'd rock up to college so excited to be there, so excited to begin this journey of God calling them into ministry. They would say things like this, God told me to come to college. Uh, God told me to come here. Awesome. Time would pass. A few months down the track, gets a bit hard. The work's more challenging than they thought. The money starts to get a bit tight. And then suddenly, God didn't tell them anymore, and they leave. 
Either God told you or he didn't. Either God said it and it's for your good and it's for his purposes and he's going to help you through or he didn't. You've got to hold yourself to that decision, to that proposition that you're making. And if you don't, you're making God out to be a liar or you're making yourself out to be a hypocrite. See, however we make our decisions, whatever authority we're drawing on, we then need to live with the consequences of them. We don't abscond and blame God when everything goes wrong. We make choices for our lives. We follow God with our hearts. We draw close to him. We listen to what he says. And sometimes that means that he tells us specifically what to do. And sometimes he leaves us with that choice. Either way, he's faithful. Either way, he's watching over you. Either way, he's leading you to your destiny into fullness of potential in what he's designed and planned for us. He's a good God. And when we ask him these questions, we need to remember foremost who he is, that he is with us. Whatever decisions that we make, whatever we go through, he's going to lead us through. I trust that this teaching has really helped you today. I know it's so important when we're facing decisions. And I've seen so many misunderstandings about this topic. If you know someone who's facing a decision right now, I encourage you to pass this on to them. And I pray that it will be a great benefit to them. But we'd love to hear about your story of how God has led you. Has it been a narrow path or has it been a six-lane freeway. Love to hear thoughts. You can post them at godconversations.com on the blog section or go to facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So post your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com or at facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. Help us to equip others to recognize God's voice by rating the series on iTunes. Remember, Jesus said we would know his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. 